Africa's population still sits heavily on the outskirts, making it difficult for its people to access financial services and participate in economic activity because infrastructure is lacking. But with the continent a fast adopter of smartphone technology, is fintech the gateway to a more financially inclusive Africa? We find out this week on Africa Inc. Financial inclusion is front of mind in discussions around social development and economic growth. And fintech companies are sprouting fast, looking to use innovative technology solutions to widen the net by catering to the informal sector and the un- and underbanked. According to Disrupt Africa, more than half of the fintech companies operating in Africa were started after 2015. And since then, over $90 million of investment have been channeled to those startups. But there has been a slowdown in the momentum of late, with Africa attracting just a fraction of global investment, with investors lacking complete understanding about local markets. So, while Africa's fintech space is ripe with potential, what return on investment are we realistically looking at? CEO of Exponent, an Africa-focused investment company, talks us through the investment merit it's putting on the table right now. Christoph Nevote, CEO of FNB's consumer segment, says it's not getting left behind and tells us how FNB's gotten onto the fintech bandwagon, upping its relevance in the current consumer market, especially where free payment apps like Slide Financial are taking hold. We catch up with Slide's co-founder, Irshad uh, Kathrada, to chat about the traction it's making in the South African market. So that's the lineup for today's show. But before we delve into the conversation, let's cross to Bronwyn, who's picked up on some of the developments and trends that's helping fuel fintech's rapid growth on the continent. Bronwyn. Thanks, Alicia. Well, making use of technological advancements to further financial inclusion in Africa is growing by leaps and bounds. In 2014, according to World Bank data, 34% of adults owned a bank account. That figure is low when compared to the global average. But what is interesting is that while just 2% of adults worldwide have a mobile money account, 12% in sub-Saharan Africa have one, showing that traditional financial services on the continent are being pushed aside for more innovative solutions. And business is jostling to get in on the action, particularly startups. Disrupt Africa says that over 301 startups are active in the sector, with payments and lending being the most popular spaces, as around 60% of companies in the fintech space are focused on this area. And traditional financial services companies have to adapt or get left behind. Accenture estimates that over one-third of mainstream financial services revenue is at risk due to disruption in the industry from fintech. Investors are also keen to play in this space. The continent's fintech startups have secured over $92.5 million in investment since 2015. But despite this sector's exponential growth, it is still being hampered by regulation and insufficient infrastructure. And South Africa, Nigeria and Kenya are still the major hubs, making fintech development uneven across the continent. Alicia, you'll be getting into a bit more detail, so that's just a brief outline. It's back to you. 
That's right, Bronwyn. So thanks for setting some of the context for us. Well, Africa-focused investment company Exponent is amongst those snapping up fintech opportunities in countries like South Africa, Botswana and Zambia. It's just secured 146 million rand to turn up the heat on its Africa presence. So the CEO of the company, Terence Gregory, joins me in studio now to give us a better sense of the landscape and how ripe the opportunity is for not only larger financial services companies to drive fintech further, but small business as well. Thanks so much, Terence, for your time today. So we had Bronwyn highlighting uh, that Accenture estimates that over one-third of mainstream financial service revenue is at risk due to disruption from uh, the fintech industry. How much investment are we seeing in this space? Put that $92.5 million investment uh, since 2015 into perspective for us. Alicia, thank you. Uh, I think that the perspective is that the continent is substantially underbanked, so I'm not sure that it's necessarily uh, a disruptive technology that takes away from the existing players, but probably supports the underbanked and the unbankable sectors um, because you have better access to your client. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing a slowdown in funding, though? I mean, what appetite is there amongst funders at this stage for driving growth within this arena? I think internationally, uh, funding is always based on the risk and return. So uh, as uh, the other destinations like America raise their rates, um, the more risky uh, African-type uh, investments become less uh, of, an, of an incentive relative to a destination. But I think there's always opportunity for uh, the types of business as we do where we secure ourselves uh, in the various transactions um, and are able to still command a, a reasonably good sticker price, uh, <laughs> giving us the type of return that you've seen in our, in our financials. Let's take a look at your experience then, uh, because you know while you've got this context in Africa providing opportunity for more innovative uh, traditional financial services uh, where we're dealing with a massively unbanked population. How is the situation different when you're dealing with an underbanked and not unbanked population that you're catering to? Does your strategy shift? Not necessarily. Your rates, your rates shift as the risk changes. But uh, I think the, the secret, and that's why we are so interested in fintech, the secret is actually to be able to take uh, the banking facilities to your clients mm -hmm. as opposed to expecting your clients to be able to uh, walk into a particular branch or you know apply bricks and mortar approach to it so no i don't i don't think that there's necessarily a different approach uh, the key is to be able to take your your services and your products to the clients you've identified opportunity in south africa botswana zambia let's put south africa and zambia on the uh, you know on the table for a minute how's your experience different or is it pretty much uh, you know a copy paste model that you are uh, exporting into the various territories we certainly run our back office and all our governance controls centrally. So our business is a business of essentially taking in capital and then providing financial services at a, at a margin to our clients. We look for innovative products, obviously, in terms of, of taking the products to our clients. But the key element and the primary difference between a Zambia and South Africa would probably be the regulatory regime, mm -hmm. where it is much easier to transact in a Zambia than it is in a South Africa. Why is that? Take us through the regulatory landscape you're having to tackle. Well, firstly, if you look at the uh, exchange regulations, they're, they're much more uh, flexible in most African countries. Uh, and that allows the easier flow of trade through those various countries. But I think the, 
uh, a key element of the difference between Zambia and South Africa is the significant uh, fluctuation in the quatcha. So hedging is a much bigger uh, and more important function in a, in a Zambia. But on the other hand, you can transact in dollars in many mm -hmm. Zambian territories where you can't actually do that in South Africa. So uh, each territory has its own requirement, and that's why we deploy specialists in those territories to, to leverage our products. We had Disrupt Africa highlight that uh, over 301 startups are active in the sector with payments and lending being the most popular spaces right now. Uh, do we get to a situation where we risk uh, becoming too saturated and the return on investment actually not being reaped as a result? I don't think so. I think if you look at those countries, the demand for credit way outstrips the opportunities in the country and way outstrips what the development requirements are in the country. So if one wants to develop an, an economy and an infrastructure, the important part is that you have participation in that infrastructure by the broader communities, and that's not possible in most African territories. It's part of why BE is such an important aspect in South Africa of trying to grow that next level of of industry, if you like, or of economy. Mm -hmm. I ask the question because while there's been this vast fintech innovation over the past five years, uh, the focus has pretty much remained on consumers in mature economies. Yes. Uh, you know, uh, the resulting efficiency and security benefits have largely uh, seen the market or the fintech space bypass the two billion consumers in the developing world who lack formal banking services altogether, and therein lying more of the opportunity. One assumes, and that's exactly exactly right and that's why the the funding that we've just raised is deployed into African countries and into fintech opportunities in those African countries where we are able to reach a far broader base of un underbanked or unbanked Mm -hmm. uh, economies where the risk is what triggers some of the hesitance to approach uh, you know these uh, these outskirt markets uh, do you see fintech innovators needing to consolidate and consolidation becoming uh, the name of the game moving forward if they're going to reap maximum reward there's no question so if you look at a South African environment you have bureaus that will tell you what the credit rating of an individual is when you move into Africa you don't have that same security and you need to develop your own uh, products we invested recently in a, a large um, fintech business, which we believe to be a state-of-the-art fintech business, uh, Mybux. It's Luxembourg-based. But they have incredibly disruptive technologies and ability through artificial intelligence and through various structures to actually credit rate as accurately as they could in South Africa based on uh, credit bureaus. Mm -hmm. And all of that is built into the fintech platform. Well, let's leave it there. Thanks so much, Terence, for having joined us in studio this afternoon. Of course, that was uh, Terence Gregory, who's CEO of Exponent. And coming up after the break, we take a closer look at the kind of shift this is all triggering in the traditional banking arena. So don't go away. Now, last year, FNB customers had over 10 billion transactions with the bank. 120 million of those, that's just over 1%, was on a face-to-face -face basis, while roughly 8.5 billion 
that's 85%, was purely through digital channels and the rest via point-of-sale and ATM transactions. CEO of FNB Consumer, Christoph Nivot, took us through whether the extent to which the digital era has fast taken hold of the banking sector, though, is enough to compete against fintech disruptors. I think that uh, digital progress is inevitable. So um, you'll see from the stats uh, we provided, um, we're doing 10 billion transactions or 10 billion interactions with our customers per annum. And the bulk of that is through digital channels, 85% of that. Only about 1% is happening face to face. So if we don't disrupt ourselves as a bank, someone else will do it. So clearly, it is a, it's a major driver of progress and uh, benefit for our customers as well. So you keep up or you get left behind, essentially. How much of a hard sell has it been getting traditional bankers to shift strategy and approach to the market? Or has it been more so a case of this is too obvious not to get? Yeah, look, yeah, I think <laughs> it's, a, it's a combination. Clearly, we've been focused on innovation for a, for a very long time period, as you, as you would know. Um, and from a leadership perspective, we have an intense focus on digitizing our customer base, on making our products as accessible and as easy to use on digital channels. At the same time, I think the point you're making right is we've had to transform the way that our branch infrastructure works. So our branches typically, if you're th you're the way people would think about a branch is you go there to do transactions, maybe deposit money, draw money, etc. We are transforming the, the way that our branch works, where we even have digital zones, where 30% mm of transactions done in a branch is done by our customers in our digi zones. We have put up a lot of infrastructure where customers, if they want to deposit money, etc., they can do that 24-7 on ADTs, etc., instead of necessarily having to have a person do it for them. And is there a direct correlation then between digital adoption and growth in market share? I mean, what kind of metrics do you use to determine just how much your digital strategy is worth? Yeah, look, yeah, exactly. So I mentioned already the, the level of interactions. Mm -hmm. uh, what we clearly look at from a market share point of view is not just customer numbers. We look at share of spend. So typically on, on point of sale, we measure more than 30% share of spend happens by FNB issued plastics. So that's really the kind of metric that we're chasing. So it's not just, it's online spend as well. That's a little bit dif more difficult to benchmark vis-a-vis -vis competitors. The plastic spend, we can uh, benchmark really well. And that is a big strategy of us is to get our customers to, to, to actually not withdraw their cash at the end of the month and spend it in cash, but to either swipe, mm -hmm. then at least we're getting uh, you know, point of sale interactions, or um, alternatively, uh, preferably, we want our customers to be able to spend their money in a digital way, seamlessly 24-7 from the comfort of their home. Are the right investments being made fast enough, or do you find that the traditional bankers are falling prey to fintech disruptors? Well, look, I think um, the way we see it really is in the, in, the, in the short and medium term, we clearly have been a major beneficiary of, of technology. Mm -hmm. So we have been adopting technology you know, as, uh, as fast um, as we can. Uh, we have uh, transformed our workforce um, significantly in terms of having big complements of IT people, engineers, actuaries, statisticians, analytical people, data scientists. That is a big focus of ours. And then in the branch, we've, we've retrained our staff. A lot of time our staff actually, what they're doing in branch, they're helping customers how to actually get on digital platforms. So we've zero rated the app. Um, we are, we are uh, you know, we've done almost 5 million app downloads. We have almost um, 700,000 um, customers using the app on a daily basis. So that's a big chunk of what our staff, even our frontline staff are doing. Mm -hmm. They are helping our customers digitally and they're focusing on sales and advice 
as opposed to transactions. I asked the question because later on in the show we catch up with Slide Financial, which is a fintech application that's been developed to change the way South Africans pay each other at no cost uh, to the user, for now at least. So do you view that as a competitor because it's stealing transactions that you could be facilitating as opposed to being uh, just one of the end points to a potential transaction? Yeah, look, Alicia, that's a good question. I think the, the way that we see it, they would still need banking rails at the bottom to facilitate the payment from one bank account to another bank account. Now, clearly, we are very precious about making it as easy as possible for our customers to use our own technology. So, you know, the product that we have, e-wallet, we think is the industry standard. So, uh, we have uh, typically, over a six-month period, we have more than four, four and a half million people using e-wallet. The nice thing about e-wallet is you can pay anybody with e-wallet. It does not have to be a bank customer. So if um, you have to pay somebody, maybe it's a foreign national, etc. You know, they could not actually potentially they have problem fika recaying themselves. Um, you know, you could make payments with that quite legally, and they would um, be able to 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 cash out as well. So that is really the, what we see as um, at least a quite a high level of flexibility that we already offer customers from our app. From, from online or from um, cell phone banking. Of course, in an economy like South Africa, it's not so much uh, being unbanked that's a problem. It's being underbanked, and that because of mere accessibility. But uh, with the fact that we are uh, uh, you know, an economy that is far from digital maturity within the banking space, how much scope for growth are you identifying? Look, I think from a financial inclusion perspective, that's clearly uh, one of the big issues that, that we're tackling um, in the country. I think from access to, to opening a bank account, actually, because almost everybody op um, offers relatively low-cost bank accounts. You know, five rand a month is typically mm -hmm. a, around the number for which you can, get a, you can get a bank account. I think access to having a bank account is not really the issue. I think um, also having ability to service it, because almost all services are available um, in, in a digital way, people actually have got a lot of access. Uh, and that is whether you, even if you don't have a smartphone, you, know, you can still um, use USSD, but we have, we have zero rated um, you know, data um, on those. We are even offering our own smartphones. You may know, you know we're, we, we, we are quite a big provider. We have sold more than um, uh, 500,000 smart devices. So you know, that's, that's the way that we try to help our customers get digitally enabled, even you know, if, they, if they don't have it. Um, a smartphone or a phone at all. Yeah, I know you highlighted the fact that customers are still after that face-to-face -face interaction and that's why your branches are irrelevant. But with everything you've said, does that not start to make branches more irrelevant down the line? Now hopefully you said relevant, yes, of course. No, we, we actually think that the, 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 the footprint we have uh, the, in terms of the number uh, of, uh, of outlets, etc., that really probably, you know, at around 700 level, that is probably appropriate we are, um, I think that um, what we're trying to do is to really change what the branch does. If you think of the traditional bricks and mortar and it's heavy glass and it's got tellers and, and we are transforming these. Our new branch footprints, uh, we, we, we are looking to see um, anywhere between a 50 and a 70% reduction in the footprint size of the branches by actually many of them going cashless. Um, and then, like I said, the branches actually are, are changing from a person doing everything for you to the mm -hmm. enabling the customer to actually do it themselves. Once customers see how easy it is to do, then they, they can actually go and do it themselves as well. That was Christoph Nivot, who's CEO of FNB's consumer segment. Okay, so while that's the kind of stride being made amongst a traditional banker like FNB, there's no denying that fintech players are upping the ante. And up next, we take a closer look at innovation that's targeting an entirely cashless economy. So stay with us.
According to a 2015 FinScope study, ATMs and supermarket money transfers make up 85% of payment transactions in South Africa. But these standard payment methods are not accessible to everyone, especially to those who live on the outskirts where the infrastructure is lacking. Co-founder of Slide Financial, Irshad Katrada, joined me in studio earlier this week to take a closer look at how fintech solutions like these could work to building a more financially inclusive economy. Fintech has made incredible strides into South Africa and continues to do so. I mean, South African fintech uptake is actually one of the highest in the world, and there are new apps coming out all the time. So we think it's one of the sort of great locations for fintech, and it's not just in South Africa, but across the African continent as well. Uh, in many parts of the developing world, people sort of skipped desktop computers and went straight to smartphones because of accessibility and cost. And we're seeing that same thing happen in South Africa, which is a perfect platform for fintech in South Africa for us. Well, the assumption is that it would naturally take flight on the merit of accessibility, as Absolutely. you say. What are some of the challenges, though? Because Vodacom tried its hand at mm -hmm. M-Pesa in South Africa, and that failed dismally to the extent that uh, the project had to be abandoned here, mm -hmm. simply because there wasn't enough uh, uptake. So clearly, it's uh, a case of uh, you know looking like it's easier said than done. Sure. I think it comes down to strategy. In the case of Vodacom, their solution worked really well within that closed network, sending money from one Vodacom user to another Vodacom user. Mm -hmm. But they also, also had a, a transaction fee as well. And what we find with our solution slide, uh, we've broken down those barriers, we've broken down those networks. You, it doesn't matter who you bank with. It could be ABSA, FNB, Standard Bank. You can send money to anyone. It also doesn't, doesn't matter which mobile network provider you use. And also be free which I think is the critical difference. And if you look at models around the world that have really worked, they've employed the same strategy that we're doing here in South Africa. Do you find that even with it being free, there's somewhat of a trust deficit between consumer and technology that you're having to battle? Sure. There's definitely education that's required, but I think with any technology that comes into the market, be it WhatsApp or Facebook or, in our case, Slide, there's a little bit of education that's required on the part of the customer. But what we're finding with most of our users, once they've downloaded it and they've played with it for a little bit, they actually start to feel very comfortable with using the app. And we've designed it in such a way that's very much like sending a WhatsApp. I mean, it, we think of ourselves as being like WhatsApp for payments. How secure is it? Because this is something that doesn't require Fika, for example. Mm -hmm. So how do you mitigate against security risks? So we take security very seriously, and we think it's important for the South African market. We know that everyone is interested in making sure that money isn't going to be flying out. We use the highest bank grade security uh, in, our, in our network with encrypted communication between different servers. So it's something that we take very, very se seriously, and we've built it into our platform. Okay, let's take a look at what you're actually putting on the table here, because sure. you say part of what differentiates Slide is the fact that you're looking at a, a free uh, mm -hmm. access uh, portal here. I mean, mobile phone penetration is growing quickly across South Africa, more That's than 90% of adults having access to mobile phones. Uh, let's take a look at the penetration rates you're managing to enjoy yeah. within that context. Absolutely. So I think we're riding that wave of penetration within South Africa. So not only do you have 95% of adults with mobile phones, but you also have great smartphone penetration, which is growing mm -hmm. all of the time. And that's really what we're piggybacking off to, to grow our app. And we're seeing user growth grow tremendously quickly in South Africa. Uh, I mean, we're picking up hundreds of users every day on our platform. User growth? Mm -hmm. What about uh, growth in competitors? How uh, competitive a landscape are we looking at? Yeah. So the banks have their apps. And what the banks have done is, similar to what Vodacom did previously, is they've made it very easy to send 
within their network. Mm -hmm. But they haven't really focused on being able to be ubiquitous, as we say, sending from one platform to another. So in that space, there really isn't much in, in, in South Africa. We also haven't found people that are prepared to take it on and make it free in the way that we've done. Uh, so you have uh, other apps out there, but often they charge a fee, and that's just a bit of a, a hindrance to anyone who wants to make a payment. Which begs the question, how do you make your money at the end of the day? Well, we're employing the, the sort of the, the uh, kind of strategy that many fin not even fintech, but uh, technology players have done is you focus on user acquisition. That's really important for us. Uh, you look at WhatsApp, you look at Facebook. These are platforms that you don't have to pay for. And because you don't have to pay for it, you have incredible growth. And then th later on down the line, they are value-added services that you can provide to customers. Okay, so with this to having taken off to the extent that it has in South Africa mm -hmm. already, uh, what kind of vision do you have in terms of growing outside of South Africa's borders? Are you targeting other African countries? So currently we're not targeting. We're in conversations with folks, particularly across the border in Namibia, about whether or not we could set up something over there. Uh, but it is something on our medium-term plan. But we really focus on South Africa right now because South Africa is a big market has its challenges. I mean, my partners and, our, and I are all South African. We've spent some time abroad in the States, the UK, Canada, mm -hmm. but we always wanted to come back recognizing that there are challenges, particularly in the finance space, payment space to, to be addressed. Yeah. So South Africa is our main uh, how right. how far behind are we compared to some of the developed markets right now, and how you know uh, how quickly are we managing to close that gap? So we're we're coming along the way, but what's interesting is we're not only just behind developed markets; we're also behind developing markets. I mean, there are models of peer-to-peer -peer payments or person-to-person -person payments in China, in India, South America, and even on the African continent in uh, Kenya, Tanzania yeah. as well. South Africa, for various reasons, has just sort of lagged, but that creates the opportunity for a solution like ours to come in and really address the problems that people have. That was co-founder of Slide Financial, Irshad Kathrada. And with that, we've come to the end of this week's show. So we'll catch you again next week, same time, same place. But for now, it's goodbye from me, Alicia Sekham, and the rest of the Africa Inc. team.